bit, the words that I found this week and have eaten, and I'm putting them on your plate now. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Whatever God's message is, was a joy and rejoicing. For I am called by your name, O eternal God of hosts, and we are, we're the church of God. I sat not in the assembly or the meetings of the mockers, nor rejoiced. Uh, we have had an assembly of mockers around here, but we've not attended any of their meetings. I sat alone because of your hand, for you filled me with indignation, frustration. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? Why does this just seem to go on and on and on? Now, that could be in terms of what we've been suffering lately, or you and I can remember back uh, when I was nine years of age in 1953, we began reading the prophecies and listening to Herbert Armstrong and uh, about all the horror and trouble and everything that was coming, and uh, that's been a long, long time ago, <laughs> and some of you almost that long. My wound is incurable, which refuses to be healed. Will you be altogether to me as a liar and as waters that fail? Jeremiah is being pretty bold there and addressing God that way, but he said, look, you've made some promises. When is this going to happen? The same frustration that Habakkuk uh, felt when he said, oh Lord, how long? And then after he chewed on God a little bit, he backed off. Okay, here's God's answer. Jeremiah was in good enough uh, communication and relationship with God that he could say this, and then here's how God would reply. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, if you return, then I will bring you again. Always it's on us to return to God. Never forget that. So if you do that, I will bring you again or turn it around, and you shall stand before me. And if you take forth the gracious from the vile, the clean from the unclean, as Haggai says, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but return not to them. So he told Jeremiah, if you will do your part, uh, I will speak through you. Uh, you'll be as a mouth to me, as Aaron was to Moses. And then he says, don't you go to them. If anything's going to happen, let them come back to you. Okay? That's God's Word. So, having read that, I felt encouraged and decided that it was time to go through the whole book of Zechariah, uh, Jeremiah again. And uh, in so doing, there's some things that really came clear and they had to do with Zechariah 1, ultimately. So anyway... Uh, as I said, this was a week ago, and we may be establishing a timeline here. Reckon? It's possible. <clears throat> anyway, the word came and said, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. Red horse represents, in the book of Revelation, uh, war and blood. And I have attributed that to the, the church being uh, punished, as we have been with this spewing out. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. So this is like a canyon or a valley, and the myrtle trees are in the bottom of it, not up on top of the walls or the cliffs or the 
valley sides or whatever. If you look Myrtle up, the uh, Bible dictionaries don't know what to do with it. They say that it's an unknown origin, uh, so it's hard to track down what might be the symbolism of a myrtle tree. On the other hand, it's only mentioned four times in Scripture, and one of those is Isaiah 41, where it talks about how God will place seven trees or seven churches in the wilderness, and one of them is mentioned as a myrtle tree. And it is also referred to in that sense in one other scripture. So let's assume here that the myrtle tree is a representation of the church, or at least one-seventh or one part of the church. That's uh, a little hard to comprehend or understand right now. Maybe it'll become clear pretty soon which tree this represents. But it is one of those that are planted in the wilderness. And behind him, there were red horses speckled and white, not in front of him, uh, but behind him, uh, ready to do their thing, apparently, uh, which is uh, a thing of blood, a thing of war. They're prepared to do that. Now, we're told that the church will be given, uh, be made a sharp threshing instrument in Micah 4 and also in Isaiah. Uh, between Isaiah 40 and 45, is, it is mentioned in there uh, in terms of the end-time voice in the wilderness. So, are these horses representing the power that God is going to give His church? I think that that is very likely what this is speaking of. It's also mentioned in Zechariah 6 in terms of Joshua, Zerubbabel, and the remnant. And there's four horses there. Uh, that come out upon the earth. Uh, but we won't go there for sake of time today. But let's understand the context of what we're discussing right here. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, now this is from the church then, let's say, these are they whom the Eternal has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Now, they represent what? Blood. Uh, what is the church going to be given? Power to do plagues all over the earth, far more so than in Egypt. They're going to be given the power to stop the rain, as was Elijah. And the, the, the type is of Elijah and Moses there in Malachi 4, and in the Transfiguration as well. So, is the church here, with all of this standing behind it, being prepared to become a sharp threshing instrument and to bring plagues and blood and lack of rain and torment to the earth? That seems to be the setting. And they will walk to and fro through the earth, all over the earth, to deliver God's message that He is God and that His people are lights to that world in Zion. And they answered the angel of the eternal that stood among the myrtle trees, so God's presence is there with the church, and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. So these have taken a survey of the earth, and that it is essentially at rest. 
there's not yet a lot going on. Now, there's quite a bit going on in the world, in a way, but most of it right now, as we see here today, is threatened. What is going on right now with little skirmishes here and there is small potatoes compared to what is about to be unleashed on this nation and on the world. So I think you could say right now it's kind of at rest. And the church, in a way, using that same analogy, is somewhat at rest too. Uh, there's not much going on, is there? You look at all the splinters here and there, and not much is being accomplished, not much is being done. They're just kind of sitting there and nothing much is happening. And we're the same way, right? I hope we're associated with the myrtle tree, that particular part of the church, and there's not much going on. We're just sitting here, small. Um, so, the earth is basically at rest, and I think that explanation ties in with the next verses. So, not much is happening, in other words. Then the angel of the eternal answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you have had indignation these seventy years? So here in this context, where we're about to see the temple built in Haggai, in this message right in the middle of it, about the remnant and the two witnesses, is when he introduces 70 years. Which 70 years? Starting when, ending when. Because this whole context is leading down to an explanation of what is about to happen to a church that is waiting for God to make a move and start some action instead of being sitting still, doing not much. When does the action start? <laughs> I guess is the question here. So he says, what about the 70 years where you have been indignant? So that's what we're going to discuss now, is this 70 years right here. And the Eternal answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So, the 70 discussed here is something that has a good and comfortable message attached to it. Alright? That must be, as we shall see in some other scriptures, the end, not the beginning of the 70. And that will become quite clear because at the end of 70 years of indignation, see, it's, it's not been a good 70 years, it's been a hard 70 years, so the end of it then must be when the good and comfortable applies, because the past 70 has had indignation involved. Now, God explains that. So the angel that communed with me said to me, Cry you, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Now that's echoed in many other scriptures where God says, I'm like a woman who gives birth. I'm not going to forget my child. <laughs> I will remember you. And it's like, as he says in Isaiah 54, it's like the waters of Noah and the rainbow to me. I will not forget my people. And there are many, many other places in the prophecies where he says 
that in one way or another. So he repeats it here. I'm still very concerned with Jerusalem, he says. I haven't forgotten it. So the end of 70 years of indignation is followed by good and comfortable words at the end of the 70, and God says, I am jealous for Jerusalem. That's a foremost thought in his mind at the end of 70 years, okay? Then he goes on to say, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. So here is the source of his indignation, which was mentioned above. He's upset with the heathen. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Now, what transpired just prior to the end of this 70 years? Because I'm going to show you we are at the end of it. Herbert Armstrong had the formal t former temple. And it says here, I believe, that God was a little displeased with it. He wasn't terribly angry, but he was a little displeased. In other words, as Haggai says, there will be people who can compare the former temple under him with the latter temple coming under the two witnesses and the remnant. And that, they, that the latter temple will be much greater than that which came before. So God says, I wasn't totally unhappy. I was a little displeased. And then the heathen came in, and I became sore displeased. So Herbert Armstrong died, and the heathen took over, and God became very sorely displeased. And not too long after that, he began spewing the church out of his mouth. He was so sorely displeased with us. They made the affliction worse, he said. Go back to Ezekiel 17, and you can read the whole story there about Herbert Armstrong and then that which is just ahead of us. Okay, as a result then, or therefore, thus says the Eternal, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, echoing what the message of Haggai is, that his temple is to be built. Now, we are here at the end of the 70 years when the indignation is going to be dispelled, good and comfortable things will be said, and he will return to Jerusalem with mercies, and his temple will be built in it. So those are what the good and comfortable words are about. Says the Eternal of hosts, And a line shall yet be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, speak out, say, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, my cities through good or prosperity, uh, good things, shall yet be spread abroad. We'll read about villages with many men and cattle a little later on in chapter 2. And the Eternal shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So at the end of 70 years of indignation, good is going to return and God is going to choose Zion and comfort Zion and Jerusalem thereafter. The end of the 70 years, okay? Is that pretty clear? Now, something has to happen between now and the time that occurs at the end of 70 years. There's, there's some problems that have to be taken care of. Let's see that in verse 18. 
<clears throat> then lifted I up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel that talked with me, What are these? And he answered, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In other words, they have caused problems. They've created difficulties. And the Eternal showed me four carpenters. Now, as opposed to horns, which represents power to destroy, these represent those who will be able and willing to build instead of take down. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spoke, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. Ashamed, uh, put down, uh, ridiculed, mocked. Say it how you want. You, you can't lift your head because of the mockery going on around you. But these are come, these four builders, to fray them. That means scare them. To cast out the horns of the Gentiles. They're acting not like God, but like Satan and the Gentiles. By destroying. Satan is the destroyer and the accuser. Which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Now, are we talking about national Judea here? You don't even know where it is. The Jews are scattered all through the tribes. What's the context here? The context is the former temple. Zechariah starts in the middle of it talking about the latter temple. And then chapter 2 goes on down and talks about the latter temple and fleeing from Babylon. So the context of verses 18 through 21 are speaking of spiritual Judah, the church, the myrtle tree in the valley, if you will, that some have been trying to destroy. And they must be frayed and cast out before Jerusalem can be built. So he says, I'm going to build it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to comfort it. Now these have to go. And then he goes on and starts talking about the comfort in the building of Jerusalem and what has to occur. And we'll get to that later. But I want to stop there and go back, and let's see if we can identify, first of all, which 70 years this is talking about. Now, I think it's pretty clear to us sitting here today, since it's in the context of the latter temple of the two witnesses and the remnant coming together, and it talks about the end of it and comfort being given, that it has to be talking about right now. What is about to happen in the world and in the church? Okay? But let's do some corroborating. Um, Now, we've, we've explored Haggai and Zechariah a little bit about this 70 years. Now, let's go to Ezra. Ezra. I've got a couple of things to refer to in Ezra. Well, here it is. Here I want chapter 2. And verse 3. Now, oh, wait a minute. Did I write that down right? Let me go to 312. 
Okay, yeah, this is the one I want right here. It's talking about the foundation of the house of the eternal being laid in verse 11, end of the verse there in Ezra 3. And 12 says, But many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, where the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy. And if you read Haggai 2, verse 3, that's the one I wanted, Haggai 2, not Ezra, verse 3. It says there that there will be old men who saw the former temple, and then the latter being built, who were still alive and could view it. And we've gone over that many times. Now, with that, let's tie in Matthew 24. We've been over these before, but I want to reiterate them and remind us of them as we go into this study today. Matthew 24 is talking about all the things will happen in the end time, which the disciples had asked Christ about, and the flight and, and so on that we've looked at all these years. I started looking at in 1953. Uh, anyway, we go down to verse 34, and it goes on to talk about the tribulation, the end of the age, entirely. Verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, he wasn't talking about his disciples whom he was explaining this to because they're all dead and gone. He's referring to that generation that would be alive when these things happen. So, the wars and rumors of wars, the pestilences, the earthquakes, the beginning of sorrows, and the preaching of the gospel around the world and the tribulation... That generation that is alive during that time will not pass away till it's all been done. The Christ is back, because it talks about His return here as well. So if He's speaking of His church and the generation that is called here, many were called and few chosen under Herbert Armstrong, or they're being chosen now, but they were called under Him. So the generation that I am of, and most of you are of, is still going to be around when these things are done. So we have to be talking about now, because these things are almost upon us. So we find in Haggai, Ezra, and in Matthew, that this generation is still going to be around and will be able to compare the temples. Now let's go to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah is what got my socks bobbing up and down this week. All right. Jeremiah 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So notice, this is the fourth year of the king of Judah. And it was the first year of the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar that this message was delivered. Okay? That's important. We're going to see the third or fourth year of Jehoiakim come up several times. Uh, the commentaries say in one place it might be mentioned as the third year, sometimes mentioned as the fourth year, because the reigns of the kings can overlap. In other words... Was it the first day of the fourth year of Jehoiakim, or the last day of that year? 
doesn't say, but there's 12 months in between those two dates. Uh, same with Nebuchadnezzar. Was it at the beginning of his first year or at the end of his first year? And did the one of Jehoiakim line up on the first day of the first year of Nebuchadnezzar and the first year of his reign? No. So you'll see it referred to as the third year of Jehoiakim and some places the fourth year of Jehoiakim in which all this came together. But I think it'll become very clear that Jeremiah and Daniel and all of them reckon the 70 years being completed at the same time. We'll see all those scriptures. So there's a little of confusion there based on what time of year it might have been and the overlap of the years. But we're within months there, one way or the other. Okay? And there also were three captivities during the days of Nebuchadnezzar of Jerusalem. <laughs> those are mentioned in Scripture. Uh, this one that we're just about to read about in uh, Jeremiah 25 was the first during the days of Jehoiakim. Then there was another one in the first year of uh, Zechariah. And then a third is mentioned in Jeremiah 52. So which one has to do with the 70 years? That will become clear as we go. And it is this one right here, and I'll show that to you as we go through. All right. First year of Nebuchadnezzar. The which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, and then he talks about uh, the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, that is the three and twentieth year, the word of the eternal has come to me. And I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not hearkened. So he said, from the time that God first gave me words to speak, we're now in the 23rd year. I've been at this, he said, 23 years. Now, the message that I have been preaching to you began in January of 1996. And the explanation of where the promised land and Zion is in April of 1996. So January of 2018 represents the conclusion of 22 years that this message has gone out. We are now in the 23rd year since that, this message started. Does that mean anything? We'll see. Now let's find out what else it is. <laughs> now why did none of the other prophets mention that? Of what time they started and how long it had been. I don't recall anywhere that any of them said anything about that. But this one is turning into, as we go down, to be a specific prophecy. And it is specifically timed. And I'll tell you what, if what we see today be true... This 23rd year since this message started here in the time of the latter temple beginning to be built is very significant. Let's go on. Verse 4, The Eternal has sent to you all his servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you've not hearkened or inclined your ear to hear. And there were at least three prophets who were just before Jeremiah 
And then I think it was Zephaniah that was contemporary with it. Zephaniah was speaking at the same time Jeremiah was. And we'll get to Zephaniah here in a little bit too. Same time frame. They said, turn everyone from his evil way. That has been the primary message that I have been giving since 1996, is that we all repent of Laodiceanism and our evil ways and turn to God. And he says, don't go after other gods, whatever they are around you. Verse 7, you've not hearkened to me, says the Eternal, to your own hurt. Uh, and then he says in 8, because you've not heard my words... I'm going to send and take all the families of the north. So here he begins to say that he is going to bring destruction. And he has not only brought destruction on the church, which you and I have experienced, he's going to expand that to uncover the whole world. And this prophecy was given 23 years after he began to preach. He says, I'll bring the king of Babylon against this land in verse 9. And the joy of the bridegroom and bride will cease. Life as we know it, marrying and giving in marriage and having children will stop. Isn't that what we read in Matthew 24? Or whoever Christ said that. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass, when the seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation says the eternal for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. He talks about prophesying against all the nations at the end of verse 13. The wine cup of the fury of God in verse 15 all the nations will receive of it. And then he says in 17, Then took I the cup at the Eternal's hand and made all the nations to drink unto whom the Eternal has sent me, to wit Jerusalem, the cities of Judah, the kings thereof, the princes thereof. Then he goes down, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the world around us, Utes, uh, Utah, uh, the land of the Philistines, and so on. And the land of Utes includes the Edom, Moab, and Ammon basically the Mormons around us, and all the kings of Zidon and the utmost corners, kings of Arabia 24, uh, 26, all the kingdoms of the world. So this is talking about the time of the end when all this evil is going to come on the whole world. And we're on the cusp of that happening right now. And he says it's at the end of 70 years that all this stuff's going to start coming down. Now, notice that he said at the end of the 70 in Zechariah 1, he would speak good and comfortable words to Jerusalem and to Judah. But here, Jeremiah says that the end of the 70 will come destruction on the whole world. So what you're seeing is at the end of the 70, here at the end time, is God will begin to bless his remnant so they can build a temple, and he is going to begin the destruction of our nation first, the beast kills the whore, and then the rest of the world. The end of the 70 years is going to set the whole thing off. Okay? So now...
things will occur at the end of 70 years. Let's see, first of all, Daniel 1. And verse 1. Here he says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now we read fourth year there in Jeremiah 25, and I already explained that they could overlap a bit. Uh, which end of the year, in other words, uh, in terms of Nebuchadnezzar's first year. That was the year that came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. So, the 70 years that we're referring to, according to Daniel, is the 70 years in the third or fourth year of Jehoiakim, not the other two that we said happened toward on through the book of Jeremiah. So, the 70 years that are important, in other words, to us, in the end time, because book of Daniel is what? An end time prophecy? Yeah, if ever there were one. And the, and the Eternal gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried out to Shinar. And then it goes down to talk about how also a lot of young people, maybe boys, but very young, were also taken, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into Babylon to learn the things of the Babylonians and to dwell there. Now, we're going to find in Daniel 9 that Daniel says that he understood by numbers what Jeremiah was talking about. Well, while we're here, let's go back and read that right quick. Daniel 9. I may come back and refer to it. But it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, so this is Esther and Ahasuerus' son, Cyrus. Uh, it's called Darius here, but the commentaries say there's some confusion. But this is the son of Ahasuerus and Esther. This would be that Cyrus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now remember, Belshazzar uh, saw the writing on the wall after he parted with the vessels of God's temple and died, and Cyrus took over that very night, coming, diverting the river and coming in under the wall of Babylon. So Cyrus had come in to rule and over, overrule Babylon and begin the Persian Empire. And it was in his first year, the first year of his reign, Daniel says, verse 2, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Eternal came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now we have seen over a period of 70 years the destruction of the end time church. Jerusalem uh, is the church, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 again. Zion, Jerusalem, uh, the people all represent the end time church. So he read in Jeremiah and understood the numbers. Now, at this point, Daniel had been there for 70 years. He came in in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, the fourth year or third year of, of uh, what was it, Jehoiakim. And he was now at the end of the 70 years, and he saw what was going to occur 
at the end of that period of time, and how it had been desolate for 70 years. So he began to fast and to pray, and he gave a long prayer, and then God showed him at the end of this chapter that uh, the sanctuary, verse 17, is desolate. The temple has not been built. The sanctuary is desolate at the end of the 70 years. That's why God says it's time to build it. Uh, Let's see, verse 18. The city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you for our righteousness, but for your great mercies. Uh, So he realized big changes were coming at the end of the 70 years. The temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The vessels taken into Babylon. And he says, O eternal, forgive and hearken and defer not for your own sake, O my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now we sit today, do we not, with the church being destroyed and desolate, and yet we are called after Jerusalem and his name. Here we are. Just building the wall of Jerusalem. So temple first, Jerusalem second. Here he talks about the sanctuary being desolate, which is the temple. That obviously has to be restored. And then the wall of Jerusalem built, the city restored. All right. Uh, let's go to back to Ezra again for a moment. Ezra 1.1 this time. We see something occurring here that is very, very important. Ezra 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. We just just read about that in Daniel 1. The first year of Cyrus. Now Daniel went to Babylon in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Seventy years later comes the first year of Cyrus. And he says there that I understood by numbers the seventy years had come to an end. So Daniel had been there serving Babylon for 70 years, and then a change came. All right, that was in the first year of Cyrus that we read Daniel 9. All right, let's go to Ezra 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, same year, the end of the 70, that the word of the Eternal by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So he says here, Jeremiah was talking of the building of the temple. This is Cyrus saying this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He just conquered Babylon. And he has charged me to build him a house in, at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, 
Who will go do it? I need a remnant of these people to go do it. Isn't that what we read in Haggai and Zechariah? So what Ezra does here is at the end of the 70 years, he goes to build the temple of God with the blessing of Cyrus, who had in his possession the temple vessels and the Jews in captivity who would go and do it. So it's at the end of the 70 years, first year of Cyrus, that the order is given to go build the temple. It's just beginning to make some sense. Now, uh, well, I want to go to Jeremiah 29 now. Jeremiah 29. Now, this is all in the same context of all this happening. All right, let's go down. Uh, there was a there was a controversy. There were some prophets. If you go back to chapter 28, Hananiah, who said this is going to be a short captivity. Don't worry about it. You have nothing to worry about it. And Jeremiah came up with another answer, and he says, don't listen to him. Uh, he is going to be destroyed. And he says then in chapter 29, uh, he talked to the residue of the elders and so on, goes on down. And verse 4, thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, to all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build you houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Uh, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried. That's into Babylon. Pray to the eternal for it. For in the peace thereof shall you, uh, in its peace, you will have peace. Uh, for thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, Neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely, and Hananiah in the past chapter was one of them. <clears throat> and God says, I haven't sent them. For thus says the Eternal, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place, this place being Jerusalem. So he said, we already read that he was, in chapter 25, he was going to destroy Babylon at the end of the 70. And here, as he says in Zechariah 1, I will cause you to return after 70 years in peace and in comfort to build again. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the eternal, thoughts of peace. Haggai says he's going to, in this place, bring peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray to me, and I will hearken. Now, we've been praying on a turned head and closed ears, for the most part, for the last 30 years, since Herbert Armstrong died. And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. So he says, you better be searching at the end of the 70 years and seeking me with all your heart. 
Now, what was Daniel's reaction when he realized the 70 years were up? Babylon had just been destroyed and Cyrus had taken over. And he realized there's a big change coming. And then the angel explained to him what the change would be. Sanctuary would be cleansed. Jerusalem would be built. And the whole prospect was to Daniel very scary. So he immediately embarked upon prayer and fasting to get as close to God as he could, knowing what was coming and not feeling prepared, not feeling worthy, not feeling capable of doing what God said had to be done. Now, isn't he giving us the exact same message here in Jeremiah that Daniel had just read when he said the 70 years is up? Get as close to God as you can with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Eternal. You will find me at this point, and I will turn away your captivity and will gather you from all the nations. Remnant comes from all over the world. And for all the, all the places where I've driven you, says the Eternal, and I will bring you again to this place, Jerusalem, the promised land, where I cause you to be carried away captive. Uh, and then he's going to separate the clean from the unclean. That's what he says in Haggai. The ministry has to show you what's clean and not clean. Here he uses bad figs and good figs. Those which are good to eat and those which are rotten. Same thing, clean and unclean. Uh, and then he talks about Jeremiah of Anatop down in verse 27. Hmm, interesting. All right, now, let's go back and study history a little bit here, recent history, and see if it might not have a little bearing on where we are today. With these prophecies fresh in mind, that what will happen at the beginning of the 70 years, a captivity starts, Daniel went into it, at the end of 70 years, Babylon will be destroyed and the church will be blessed. Zechariah 1, I'll give you good and comfortable words and Jerusalem will yet be built, okay? Let's look, starting with Herbert Armstrong's history. He was in Chicago, Iowa some, but Chicago primarily starting his business. Where is Chicago? It's in the midst of Babylon. We know the U.S. is Babylon. So there he was in Babylon. And God called him out of that and sent him to Oregon. Now, Oregon, let's, well, let's back up a moment. The promised land originally was limited in space between approximately Provo, Utah, and the waters of strife in the Grand Canyon. And to the west about Nevada and east of Bryce Canyon on the east. There was a great sea in the basin there. Well, that was the original promised land and the boundaries of it as given in Scripture. And then God said, I may expand it. Two or three times he says that. So now we look at the promised land being all across the country, all across the continent with the U.S. and Canada. But... If there is ever a place in this nation that I would equate at least to the conditions of the promised land as given in Deuteronomy 8, 7, and 8, the Willamette Valley of Oregon is about as close to it as you'll find in the United States of America. It has lots of water. It has a beautiful climate. 
it raises wheat and fruit and everything you could name uh, in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. It has a fairly mild climate even, as far north as it is. So God sent him there, I believe, into an area that was like the Promised Land and as close to, let's say, Eden as you could get in terms of what the Willamette Valley represents and has throughout uh, the history of this nation. One of the desired places you would go. Many people even called Oregon the Promised Land. And that's where they went. Some went to California with the gold rush and called that the promised land too. But it's all part of the larger promised land of the Bible, of Ephraim. Okay. Send me to a beautiful area that was very, very productive. And he was there for a while. And God began in 1926 and 27 to enlighten him as to his truths and began to direct him toward building an end-time work shortly thereafter. Now, he tried to set up, he had evangelistic campaigns in the little towns in Oregon through the Willamette Valley, and he would go there, and people would hear his message, and they would be excited, and then after he left and went on somewhere else, the excitement waned, and the little congregations or groups that he was trying to build would just fall apart. And he couldn't get anything to work. So finally he decided, I need to get out of here and go somewhere else and start a college so that I can train people to build houses, churches, church houses, across the country. So he went to Los Angeles, a city of merchants, as explained in Ezekiel 17, right back into the midst of Babylon. Right in the heart of Babylon, Los Angeles. What part's any worse than that? be hard to find one's any worse. New York, yeah, all about the same. Right back into Babylon. Now, I always wondered, well, what, what's this talking about here in Jeremiah? What do you mean it's going to be a long captivity and what does it have to do with us today? Now it has become very clear. He told them, when you go into Babylon, go on as if life is same. Have children, build houses. It's going to be a long captivity. So from the time Herbert Armstrong came to Los Angeles, and established a college in 1947, he said in his autobiography, and I've heard him say it personally many times, in fact, in spite of the fact they called it a liberal arts college and tried to hide the fact it was religious, he himself stated many times, this college is here to train a ministry so I can raise up churches around the world, around the country, and they will be established and remain instead of going poof as soon as he left in Oregon. So he determined, I am going to train builders, if you will, ministers, to go build congregations or church houses, and they will have families, and this work is going to take a long time. I mean, if you're going to start a college, 
and train ministers and send them out, then this is a long-range project. It's not a short one. So here Jeremiah says, go out, build houses, get along in Babylon as best you can. That's what he said right here. And seek the peace of it. And we tried to get along with the nation and the world around us. Herbert Armstrong took his gifts of crystal and this and that to them and tried to get along best he could with them. He did exactly what Jeremiah's talking about here. And it lasted for about 70 years. 1927 till 1997. 70 years. 26, 27, so 96, 97 is 70 years later. And it was basically, poof, gone. But it had been a 70-year period of time in which we built church houses, built our own houses for that matter, and had kids and grandkids. It was a long time in Babylon. All right? Now, at the end of those 70 years in Babylon, blessing is supposed to return to the church and cursing on Babylon. So, there we were. Now, here at the end, what does he say in so many, many scriptures? Isaiah 48, Isaiah 52, uh, on and on. That we're to get out of the midst of Babylon. Now, I presume that means at the end of 70 years, because that's what all these scriptures are saying. And that's what Herbert Armstrong did for 70 years. And then we were dispersed within Babylon. Now, did we suddenly get blessings at the end of the 70 years of the church? Now, you had this enacted again in the early New Testament church. From the time Christ started it in 31 A.D., by 70 years later, it was basically gone, and John was the last man standing. Now, what did he do in 96 and 97? He opened a new message. 70 years later. A message of comfort, a message of blessing, a message of building the temple, a message of building Jerusalem, and all these things you and I have come to understand began in 1996, 70 years after Herbert Armstrong has started the college. No, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Since he had started the church, that church ended 70 years later, essentially, and a new message of a new church began. But the 70 years specifically we're talking about started later. And it ties in right here with Jeremiah 29. It started in 1947 when he began, when he moved to Babylon and said, we're going to be here, I'm going to train a ministry, and we're going to build houses. So that is the beginning point of the captivity or the 70 years that Jeremiah is talking about here was when he began to do that, just as Jeremiah told them to do that. So from, 24, uh, from 1947, if you count 70 years, you come to 2017. We're still in 2017. Now this is the same as that third and fourth year of Jehoiakim. You don't know which end of the year you're talking about because on the Gregorian calendar, 2017 has ended 
December 31st. According to God's calendar, it does not end until the middle of April this year, when the first day of the first month begins. So we're still within 2017. We're at the end of it. And I don't, you know, he started the college, let's say, in fall in the fall of 47. Uh, fall of 47 could be, uh, or of, of 17 could be the end specifically of that 70 years. But we're, we're quibbling here a little bit. I don't know which end of the year he might be talking about, whether he's talking Gregorian or he's talking uh, God's calendar. But we are at 70 years since the college began and we began to build church houses and to begin a long captivity in Babylon. And if it ends, then what? First year of Cyrus, they were to go to Jerusalem and start building the temple. Now, it took them a while. Uh, they didn't leave that day when Cyrus made the proclamation because they had to pack up the temple vessels. The volunteers had to be gathered. They had to get everything ready, which could have taken a month or two or three. And then the journey itself was four months for them to get from Babylon in the Middle East to Jerusalem in the American West. And there were probably seaways at that time up through the Great Basin, and you could sail up the Colorado and up the Rio Grande, and it was a matter, you can sail across uh, the Mediterranean, the Atlantic, and come across, sail up to where we are today, uh, pretty close to it, uh, in four months. So, it took them some time from the end of the 70 years to even pack up and come here and then prepare and start building, okay? So, there's a little bit of time in there that we don't know exactly how to track, just as there is today. So, I believe Herbert Armstrong was fulfilling, did fulfill, Jeremiah 29 and had 70 years within Babylon, and now it is time to come out of Babylon. Now, I'm going to go back to this chart I made a few months ago, and I didn't understand as much as then as I do now. But it was 1900 years, as Herbert Armstrong proclaimed, from the time Christ declared the Jubilee in 27 A.D. Uh, the preparation of his ministry began in 26 and 27. Herbert Armstrong began to understand, and then began to really go forward, in 1927, exactly 1,900 years later. And since a day is as a thousand years, we have, from the time he proclaimed that jubilee in 27 A.D., 2,000 years, Peter says a day is as a thousand years, can't quibble with it, 2,000 years to finish before the millennium starts. So from 27 A.D. to 2027 A.D. is 2,000 years when the millennium is scheduled to start. So everything preceding that that we're about to see and are seeing has to come prior to that. We're already in 2018 by the Gregorian calendar and 2027 isn't too far away. And this generation will not die out until all these things are finished. Now, we're working on hundreds of years with Herbert Armstrong. So he began in 27 A.D. Seventy years later, well, let's, uh, 
In 27 A.D., Christ uh, prepared and began the ministry. In 1924, Herbert Armstrong failed at business and moved to Oregon, a promised land uh, picture, to start over. Uh, I had a business that failed in 1994 in Nevada and Arizona and went back to Alaska to start over. Same, 70 years later exactly. 1926-27, Herbert Armstrong was called, given new knowledge, Sabbath, baptism, so on. And 70 years later, uh, 1996, we were given new information about the minor prophets, the promised land, and where it was, and so on, for a fresh start. 70 years after he was given it. Now, am I bragging about us? No. God says we all have to refer our church, our lives to Him and what He does in us. Now, all these other splinter groups out there have to relate their experience to God in the Scriptures however it seems to fit them. So all we can do is the same, right? So I'm just telling you, these are the facts. What they mean, time will tell. But these are facts. 1931, Herbert Armstrong said the end-time work began. This was in his autobiography. In 2001, 70 years later, we moved to Utah to begin the new work. We'd only talked about it up till then. That's when we came to begin it. 1933, uh, the church was incorporated in the formal beginning. And in 2003, in January, same time of year, we divided up the land and had a formal beginning. 1934, January, the radio began, The Plain Truth in February. 1934, 70 years later, nothing happened. Oops, there goes the theory. What was The Plain Truth and what was the broadcast about? Preaching to the nation. Go to Revelation 11, and there it tells the end time, the latter temple, don't do that. Go to the church, leave out the altar of the Gentiles. Go to the altar, the ministry, and those that worship them, the church members. You go to Zechariah 4, and it says that the two witnesses will be giving the church the oil from the lamps. They don't go to the world. They go to the church. So, 70 years after Herbert Armstrong began to preach with word and print, nothing happened with us. We weren't to do that. That's why nothing happened. But it picks up again. 1936 and 7, Herbert Armstrong tried to establish a work in the Middle East Jerusalem. Sent people over there, tried to get something going. Nothing happened. And there never was a Church of God congregation in the Middle East. It never happened, starting in 1936 forward. Now, Herbert Armstrong sent uh, Bob Dick and different ones to set up meetings with the mayor and so on, try to get something going, but nothing ever got going in the Middle East. All right, that was in 1936 and 7. Seventy years later, end of December 6th, 1st of January, we learned of the true Jerusalem and where it was, the exact location of it, 70 years later. 1946 and 7, 
the preparation and beginning of Ambassador College to gather people for a bigger work with the ministry to establish church houses, Jeremiah 29, began. In this chart, back when I wrote it, I said, here's the question then. More than 2017, do the events begin toward gathering and a greater work? Will that happen? Now, everything else has happened 70 years thereafter. And that's what happened in 1946 and 7, as he began to train people to do a bigger work. The remnant comes, they have to be trained, Zechariah 4, by the two witnesses, to do a bigger work. Uh, 1986, in January, Herbert Armstrong died. Uh, ten years later, this information came. But more important in that sense than his death, I believe, is that in 1996, the Worldwide Church of God died. Seventy years after it had started. January of 1996 came the information for a new work and church was given to go ahead from that point on. So there's where real time begins. When, when worldwide Sardis died in 96, God gave information to start a new church and work, the latter temple. And we're building up to that now. I'm about out of time, but we started late, and I'm not done. All right. Uh, I'll just refer to this one, Second Chronicles 36.12. It's the story in the Chronicles of Jeremiah. And it says there that the land had 70 years of Sabbaths during the 70-year captivity of Jerusalem in Babylon. So it was 70 literal years of land Sabbaths. Uh, it, it, they hadn't been keeping them. So God gave the land 70 years of rest while they were in Babylon in captivity. So, here we are in 2017. If... The work of Jeremiah 29 started in the fourth year of Jehoiakim when they went into captivity and Jeremiah said, no, it's going to be a long captivity, go build houses and so on. So Herbert Armstrong started that in 47 and we built them and built them and it lasted a long time and then 70 years later it died. And from the time, in 1947, when that movement started until today is 70 years. We also see this in Zechariah 1, and that is the key for us. I'm going to go back there now. Because all these others tie to the end of the 70 years, Babylon would start going into captivity and punishment, and the church would begin to be comforted and Jerusalem would be built. <laughs> and the 70 years here in Zechariah 1 is inexorably tied to the end time work of the two witnesses and the remnant of Haggai and Zechariah. 
So when we go back and read about the 70 years, we see that the 70 years of Jeremiah, by Daniel's account, were the time when the Babylonian captivity that he was in would end, and Ezra and Nehemiah, or Ezra would be selected by Cyrus to go and build the temple. So, dating from that, the 70 years here has to be a commensurate time to what Jeremiah referred to. Herbert Armstrong began that movement of building church houses and a long captivity in 1947. It ends in 2017. Now, that means that the 70 years spoken of here in Zechariah can only be that 70 years. Because he says, I was indignant a little bit, and then when the heathen came in with the Tkachas and so on, I became very indignant. And now at the end of 70 years, he says, I'm going to give you goodly encouraging words. Now that's what the angel gave Daniel. Goodly encouraging words about what? Cleansing the sanctuary, the temple, and building Jerusalem. At the end of that 70 years, Ezra was appointed by Cyrus to go do just that. Sent the temple treasures and the people, go do it. Now here, we find at the end of 70 years, God is saying, I'm going to build Jerusalem again. Then if you go to, and he says, I've got to get the enemies out of there first, before it can be done. we got Purim coming up here in about two weeks. Uh, that is a type of God sending the Jews enemies in confusion. And Ahasuerus' son, Cyrus, uh, came from there and brought good news to Daniel, but Ahasuerus is the one with Esther uh, who destroyed the people who were destroying the Jews. Now, I don't mean that our enemies necessarily will die now, because God says no in Jeremiah 11, they'll go into the tribulation and die there. But they apparently, between the end of the 70 years here and the time that God begins to move to build Jerusalem, the only thing in between the good message and the bad message, or I don't call it a bad message, a good message that the enemies will be gone. But between the comfort to Jerusalem and it being built, the enemies have to go, and then he begins to measure Jerusalem and get ready to build it, right here in the context in Zechariah 1. You think it's possible God could send confusion and panic among our enemies, maybe even by Purim if this is the year in which they will go away from us in confusion, or the beginning of it anyway? I don't know. Very possible. Because when these things happen, they're going to happen fast. It was a specific 70 years. Land Sabbaths were tied to it. It wasn't 40, it wasn't 63 years or 74 years. It was 70 years. God is specific. And here he gives us 70 years and then says, at the end of that, I'm going to comfort you and strengthen you. And your enemies have to be scared and gone. Then I will start building. The end of 70 years. Are we there? Are we there? Now I'll remind you of some other dynamics here. Ezekiel laid on his side for 
430 years for Jerusalem, I mean for Judah and for Israel. And he says each day is as a year, and at the end of that 430 days, 430 years in type, Babylon would be destroyed. Go ahead and read it back in Ezekiel 4. And then it talks about this nation being destroyed in Ezekiel 5. So at the end of 430 years of the end time, end time events would begin occurring, which would include the destruction of Babylon, which is Ephraim, which is America, after 430 years. Now, 1787, I mean 1587, is when the Roanoke colony was established, and apparently it succeeded. Scholars are not sure, but apparently it did, because if you count from 1587 to 2017, you have 430 years. At the end of 430 years, America was to be destroyed. Ephraim. If you say... 1607 with the Pilgrims was the first permanent colony, and you start the count at 430. That puts you 20 years beyond now. But old men have to be around, and this generation has to see not only the beginning of the destruction, but they have to see Christ returning. That's what Matthew 24 says. So this generation has to see this ended. Now, if you go from 1607, that puts us into the late 90s and hundreds instead of the 70s and 80s. Don't think so. And not only that, it coincides with the 70 years ending right now of the prophecy which is very specific of Jeremiah, and then the temple would begin to be built. Now, tie with that one other factor that we've discussed lately and which I preached about two, two weeks ago, in which Isaiah 7 and 8 is talking about the time when Christ does come and dwell with us and we begin to produce the fruits of Christ in a bigger way. And from the time that Emmanuel comes, God with us, to dwell with us, from the time then, Ephraim would be destroyed before the baby would know good from evil. He also told Isaiah to go into the prophetess and have a baby, and from the time that baby was born, before he could say, Daddy and Mommy, Ephraim would be destroyed. Sixty-five years. From 1954, when the Bilderberger Group was formed and had a conspiracy to destroy Ephraim, 2019 is 65 years later, and it has, Ephraim has to be destroyed before that happens. Now, where did you get this message we're talking about today? God gave it to me. In 1953, my parents began listening to the world tomorrow over XEG and XELO. To the best of my recollection, they were baptized in Passover of 1954. So they became members of God's church in 1954, which would have made me 10 years of age. 1954 is the year the Bilderbergers began with the agenda of destroying the United States. Did God call my family, and thus me, at the same time that the Bilderbergers formed, 
because I would be the one to deliver this message that the Bilderbergers and their henchmen will destroy this country within 65 years. I don't know, but it's interesting to me. The very time that they began, God put my family in the church, and I was learning His truth, and still am. Now, I don't say that to brag, and I don't even know that it's true. But Herbert Armstrong did not spare any space in saying he was the only one that had been preached the truth in 1900 years. He wasn't bashful about it, okay? And I'll tell you this, I'm the only one giving this message on the earth today, and have been for 23 years. And 23 years is the time when Jeremiah said the 70 years would end, the church would be blessed, building the temple, and Babylon's destruction was near. Are we there? He says he will give his former and latter rains in the first month when it happens. He will do signs and wonders in Zechariah 3, talking about the remnant and the two witnesses. He also says in uh, Amos that it will be the first month of the year that that occurs. And there's another one floating in my mind that's not coming out right at the moment uh, about the uh, signs and wonders. Oh, it's, it's Isaiah 8, of course, which we covered two weeks ago. He says the people were given is signs and wonders. You go to Zechariah 3. He says the signs and wonders are going to be done by Christ who comes and dwells with us. All right. He says the 70 years will end here in Zechariah. Then your enemies will be cast out. Then he says he's going to measure Jerusalem and it will be built. And then he says he will come and dwell with us and be a wall of fire around us and protect us and be the glory in the midst of us in verse 5. And then he says flee from Babylon and go to Zion in the next two verses. So, 70 years ends, enemies go away, and the gathering starts. The end of 70 years. To do what? Build a temple. Same as Ezra, when the 70 years ended, and that's what Daniel said. And God says He will protect, and then He says He'll shake His hand on our enemies, and he tells Zion to sing and rejoice, for I'll come and dwell with you. Go to Isaiah 54. He says, sing and rejoice. The watchman will see eye to eye. Passover will come. And then the gathering will start. Seems to me. I didn't even go to Zephaniah. I said I would. But there it says in chapter 1, the financial crash will occur. He says then to... Uh, gather yourselves before the financial crash occurs. And we saw two weeks ago that the count for the baby saying daddy and mommy begins when Christ shows himself. Before the 65 years before Ephraim dies uh, is completed. And then in Zephaniah, he says, gather yourselves before all this hits. Then if you go down, oh, where is it here in chapter 3? Uh, he talks about how he's going to get rid of our enemies. Verse 11, In that day shall you not be ashamed for all your doings. Remember we just read 
how we couldn't lift up our head because we had been mocked and ridiculed and so on and made smaller. He says, you'll not be ashamed of your doings wherein you have transgressed, transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of you them that rejoice in your pride and you shall no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. So he's going to remove the enemies. I will also leave in the midst of you an afflicted and poor, or meek and humble, as the new King James says, that will trust in God. And then he says, the remnant of Israel will not do iniquity. They'll come and they'll do the clean instead of the unclean. Then he says, sing, daughter of Zion, be glad, because you're being gathered. That's what it says there in Isaiah 52 and 54. Sing aloud, cry aloud, you're going to be gathered. The Eternal has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of you. You shall not see evil anymore. So just as he tells us to begin rejoicing, he says, I've cast out your enemy. And it will be said then, don't fear. Don't let your hands be slack. I'll be in the middle of you, Emmanuel, God with us, and rejoice over you with joy. And I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. I wrote in my margin many years ago, is this speaking of the Passover? That's the solemn assembly. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of you, of the church, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Have we not been under reproach and under pressure and under defamation and character assassination and all these things for quite some time now? And hasn't the whole church of God been splintered and shattered to the point you can't raise your head? Yes. Then he says in verse 20, I will gather you. Oh, wait, verse 19. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict you. And will save her that is crippled, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. So the whole church has been put to shame around the world as a splintered, failed organization. We have, by our enemies here, been looked upon as failed and destroyed in the same way. And he says he's going to end that. And gather you from where you've been driven, from the four corners of the earth, and the remnant will not lift, bow its head in shame anymore, but will become a light to the world and go forward. So there you have three. Isaiah 7 and 8 with the 65 years. You have the 430 years, which ends now, I believe. And you have the 70 years, which ends now, I believe. There's three witnesses in Scripture that this thing is upon us. Now, I'm not going to say dogmatically it will be this Passover or this first month. But boy, there's a lot of stuff pointing to it. We've been burned before by saying, this is the day, this is the year, 1975 in prophecy, and go on and on. So I'm not going to go there. I'm just telling you what these Scriptures are adding up to and what they look like. Take it from there. But be warned and know. And I'm going to do as Daniel did. This is kind of scary. I'm going to do some fasting and praying. In fact, I may go off in the desert and do a little bit this week. 
because this is scary and we need to be humble and meek, as he says here, that he will leave a humble and meek people in the midst. We need to seek God with our whole heart. And he says, this has to do with the 70 years. Jeremiah 25. Seek me with all your heart and you will find me and I will answer you. Are we there? This is enough evidence to me that I think I need to be getting as close to God as I possibly, however, can do. And see if he will hear and answer and bless us. Because it appears the 70 years is about done. It might be by the first month of the year in the middle of April. And that's all I have time for, so we'll stop there.